This episode is brought to you in part by Zondervan, publisher of The Perilous Fight, Overcoming Our Culture's War on the American Family, written and narrated by retired neurosurgeon and politician Dr. Ben Carson. Available now everywhere you get audiobooks. Dynamic Voices for a Diverse Church. This is Pass the Mic. Welcome to Pass the Mic, Dynamic Voices for a Diverse Church. I'm not Tyler Burns. I know, I know. Here we are on an episode entitled Black History Month. <laughs> Instead, it's the white producer who's kicking it off. I think we've, we've this is a net fail. I'm just realizing all the problems here. I'm Bo York. I'm the producer of Pass the Mic. Award-winning um, producer. Well, again, we're not here to praise me. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it just has a nice ring to it. It does. It does. No, that was uh, that was great. And thank you all for the shout out last week. But of course, yes, producer passed the mic. Uh, Bo York is me. And with me, ladies and gentlemen, you know him. You love him. Mr. Jamar Tisby. Greetings. Greetings. I am on location again. So I apologize if the sound isn't isn't up to award winning standards. What is it going to take to get you in Jackson, in the studio, every single week? What's it going to take? You're going to have to persuade my wife, first and foremost, and then gas money <laughs> and time. No problem. <laughs> all right. All right. So gas money, we could probably scrounge that up. We could, I, I can put together a pretty impressive PowerPoint. I don't know if that's going <laughs> to convince her or not. But uh, yeah, c- command over time that I... Once we once you figure that out, let me know how that works. Okay, you good good deal. I'll work on that. <laughs> well, man, um, we are here. The first episode of Pass the Mic in February, uh, which of course is Black History Month. Uh, and man, I'm I'm excited to sit down and talk to you about uh, about it this week and kind of just kind of unpack Black History Month from. Uh, a reform perspective, a Christian perspective, you know, obviously there's an American perspective that's, uh, that's kind of, you know, a, a general sense for everybody. And, and man, before we dive too much deeper into this, why don't you give a little bit of your background in terms of kind of from a, uh, historian, uh, or, or <laughs> <laughs> is the historian one who knows or one who studies? Cause I think you're, yeah. kind of yeah, well, um, hopefully studying leads to a little bit of knowledge. But honestly, and I think a lot of people have this experience, the more you study something in depth, the, the, the more you realize how little you know. And I know that's sort of cliche, but it is so true as I'm studying history. So a little bit of my background, I, you know, I, I never had any special interest in history, I don't think, until halfway through college. I was a business major, which I did not like, and I was looking for something to switch out of. And I landed on American studies. And so American studies is is pretty broad. It includes literature. It includes some aspects of sociology, um, but it also includes history. And so I took some of my first formal American history classes in that major and I loved it, but I forgot I loved it. <laughs> so <laughs> I, I graduated college and honestly, you know, as I was looking for jobs, I joined uh, Teach for America to, to become a teacher, partly because I knew with, a, with an American studies degree, my job options would be pitifully small. And so um, I figured, well, hey, I got a great education. Maybe I can help to impart one. And so for a long time, I, I I didn't really think about it until I really started digging into the history of where I was living, which was the Mississippi Delta and just the Deep South and starting to learn what 
in particular, African-Americans had gone through to survive and thrive in that environment. So that, that kind of sparked an organic interest. And then also in my studies in theology, I was noticing there's a big old gap where uh, where African-Americans are concerned, at least in the circles that, that I run in. And so I wanted to augment this more European and um, Anglo or white perspective on theology with the black church tradition. So that led me down some history. And then finally, I'll tell you the book that that really switched it up for me. It's a book called Local People by John Dittmer. Local People. And it's specifically about Mississippi, but what this man does in several hundred pages is dig deep into the 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 nitty-gritty details of what African Americans' day-to-day lives were about under Jim Crow. Um and what he does is say, you know, the big people that we know of, like Rosa Parks, Martin Luther King Jr., and the big institutions like the NAACP, they actually many times weren't leading the civil rights movement. They were following along these local people who remain anonymous, uh, but paved the way for greater reforms in the future. And so that got me thinking. And then long story short, now I'm at the University of Mississippi uh, studying for a PhD in history really focused on um, 20th century race and religion. Man, um, why don't we why don't we kick things off and just kind of ask the question of, do we need Black, Black History Month? <laughs> That's, that seems to be the question that gets asked every single year. And so um, it's, it's a little discouraging in that sense. But in another sense, I'm glad that we're having this episode and we can address it because I don't know if we've ever done that on the podcast before. So in short, the answer is yes, it is necessary that we celebrate Black History Month each and every year. And the reality is we ought to be celebrating aspects of black history throughout the year. Um, but we don't live in a perfect world. And so uh, really my answer to that question, should we celebrate Black History Month, is depend, depends on who you mean by we. In one sense, if you, if you say we, referring to the American people, citizens, then I'll answer yes, we should celebrate, celebrate Black History Month for a couple of reasons. One, black history is American history. And as I said earlier, if we lived in a perfect world, there really wouldn't be a separation because we would look back at U.S. history and we would include all of the stories and all of the contributions of not only black citizens, but of every people group that's in this country. But we don't live in a perfect world. And the reality is that history tends to get written by the winners or the victors or the people who have power, the people who are on top in certain uh, aspects. And so what's happened in U.S. history is that for a lot of different reasons, including a bias against African Americans, the, contribu- the contributions of people of color have been written out, left out of history or minimized. And so uh, Black History Month really first started as Negro History Week in 1926 by a Harvard-trained historian, Carter G. Woodson. And his whole goal was to highlight the contributions of African Americans. And and Negro History Week uh, grew into Black History Month, which was signed into law in 1976 by Gerald Ford. And I like a, a quote by Gerald Ford. He said, the country needed to, quote, seize the opportunity to honor the two often neglected accomplishments of Black Americans in every area of endeavor throughout our history. So from a citizenship perspective, yes, we absolutely should study Black History and celebrate Black History Month. 
All right. So that's the we as in like the, you know, the quote unquote American we. But what about the we in terms of kind of the Christian we? Yes. So the the theological we. Um, yeah. I think as God's people, it's critically important that we study history in general. And so uh, I took several classes with a great professor, Sean Michael Lucas, who, who wrote a book, who's written several books. I would encourage you to look up any of his work, Sean Michael Lucas. And uh, he taught Christian history. And so we were looking at the history of theology and you know how do doctrines like the trinity develop how do what what was the reformation all about really from a historical perspective uh, how do we you know the beliefs that we hold now how did we get there because there were a lot of fights and arguments over um you know foundational beliefs that w- that we just consider uh very very basic and widespread now but it wasn't always that way so it's important to study theological history in that sense but we also live in a world where god is sovereign over everything even uh the 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 movements and the events that happen to particular people groups whether that's the israelites whether that's the canaanites whether that's the parasites uh, whomever and that includes uh, people of african descent and the story, uh, our story as people of African descent in America is a very painful and tragic one. Now, I want to make this clear. African history doesn't start in America. <laughs> and so there, there are literally thousands of years and magnificent contributions to human civilization that are coming out of different parts and, and different ethnicities in Africa. Uh, but when you talk about the American story, it really begins with slavery uh, in 1619 when 20-odd uh, Negroes come in uh, to to Virginia. And so in that sense, our history in this part of the world has been very painful and tragic. And yet throughout it all, and in spite of it all, God has uh, given us the seed of faith and he has catalyzed that faith into some of the boldest, most transformative justice movements the world has ever seen. And so from a Christian perspective, we ought to be studying black history as a story of, of God's redemption and his magnificent power in the face of human sin and evil. So what does that look like? What does a theological celebration of Black History Month look like? <laughs> I think we're still figuring that out. Uh I I went to uh, a very great I got a very great Christian and theological education in lots of places, both formal and informal. But when we're talking about Reformed theology, you're talking about you know the Protestant Reformation, which is you know starts in Germany with Martin Luther, spreads to different countries in Europe like France and Switzerland, and so you're talking about a, a mainly a European movement. Even though there's, 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 there's over a thousand years of, of church history well before that, much of which takes place in Africa. And so one thing I would recommend if you want to do like a theological study of black history is go back even before America. And there's a book uh, by Thomas C. Oden, O-D-E-N, called How Africa Shaped the Christian Mind. How Africa Shaped the Christian Mind. And we read this in one of my seminary classes in history, and it was mind-blowing. How some of our most important Christian beliefs, these these beliefs that we have in all the creeds that are universal for believers, those were argued and fought out by African people. 
Um, and and so the the Christian faith as we know it today is indebted to the contributions of people of African descent. But coming to these shores, we've got to we've got to really have a generation of scholars and and researchers who uncover the stories. So there are a few that 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 are relatively easy to find. There there are African Americans like like Jupiter Hammond and Francis Grimke uh, who 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 leave behind a written record. But one of the challenges of studying Black history in general and also for theology is that as a marginalized people, as an oppressed people, slaves, we, we weren't allowed to read or write. <laughs> And so we didn't write sermons down. We didn't write books on theology, not until relatively late in our history in this country. And so the the, the record is going to be different. So we got to look at we got to look at the Negro spirituals. We got to look at songs. We've got to look at cultural art forms, um, whether that's whether that's print art or something else. And, and so we've got to be creative about where we find the the historical record of theological thinking among African Americans, because I guarantee you. It's there. It just may not be written down in a systematic theology textbook. Man, you know, it's it's interesting. Earlier this week on the Pass the Mic Facebook group, uh, we had somebody ask the question in terms of definitions, talking specifically about um, uh, white supremacy and, and white privilege. And uh, there was an interesting discussion that went on there. And I and I think a few other people uh, in the comment section for that one uh, posted an episode that we did a while back called Defining White Privilege. And in that episode, we actually talked specifically about Black History Month and, you know, this kind of pushback that you often hear about, uh, do we need this? Do you know, why do we have this? And, and part of the kind of the discussion in, that came from that was this idea of, of kind of the, you know, it, black history becomes an elective or today black history is an elective as opposed to the core curriculum. Um, mm-hmm. so, so as we kind of look at, especially with this month and um, what we, we hope to accomplish in terms of, you know, the podcasts and, uh, and, and even just kind of some practical application of, of people going out and studying and finding various theologians and, and kind of unpacking various cultural artifacts in the midst of uh, black history in terms of Christian black history. I guess my, my question is, it's great to celebrate this month and it's a good focal point, but isn't that just the beginning? Shouldn't we actually push it beyond just black history month? Right, right, right. Like I said, in a perfect world, we wouldn't have a need to specially or specifically focus on black history because black history would be part of our regular diet of American history, which, by the way, I think is extremely anemic as it is. Um, We need to do a much better job with history in high school and college uh, because we suffer from and ignorance in general of American history, let alone black history. But yes, you're right. It should just be the beginning. What, what black history is about is recovering the stories of all people, capital A-L-L, all people, not just white men or white people. Um, and that honestly is part of the discipline, the academic discipline of history. Much of the recent history books that you you'll see now, whether you know, talking really started probably mid '60s or so, uh, but a lot of the 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 more current scholarship is a, is 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 about giving voice to the voiceless, 
And so it's about putting emphasis on people who have consistently and systematically, even if unintentionally, been ignored in our study of history. And so that could include women, that could include indigenous people, that could include poor white people, um, and it certainly includes black people. And so what Black History Month should do is be this concentrated chronological month where people can take a deep dive into the particular history of a people group, which which are Americans. Again, black history is American history. But what that should do on March 1st is say, there's more to history than I thought. Hmm. And there are more people involved in the story of this nation than I thought. And the reality is, we all, all different people groups, have made valuable contributions to not only this country, but to the world. And my job, particularly as a believer who believes that God has created the world with beautiful diversity, is to seek out these diverse people groups and individuals and institutions and say, what have they done? Uh, Sometimes it's good, sometimes it's bad, but what that does is say that we benefit from viewing the world from a multiplicity of perspectives and not just one perspective that may have written uh, a history book strictly from their own cultural and and chronological situation. So that's what I hope Black History Month does. Yes, I want people to have an appreciation for Black history in general, and, and we should be looking at the contributions of African Americans throughout the year, but, but the principle behind that is that there are people who have been overlooked in our study of history, and how can we unearth their stories and celebrate their culture and celebrate their contributions? So what about you, man? I mean, you know, obviously you're, you're studying for, for school anyway, but I mean, like, what, what have you been studying uh, recently, and uh, what have you been discovering in your studies? I don't know if people want to hear that or are ready to hear that. <laughs> oh, oh, then yes, absolutely. Uh, Whenever you so, say that, it's always golden. <laughs> no, it's just, it's just when you study history, most of the time you find out it's worse than you thought. Mm, mm-hmm. And since I study the history of race and relation, race and religion, it is really worse than I thought. All puppy dogs and unicorns, all day. Absolutely. Bunnies and doves. It's great. <laughs> no, it's terrible. And one of the things that sticks out to me, I may have mentioned this in another podcast, but 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 one of the, you know, you find out all these really interesting facts and stories as you go along. Too many to count, but but it, but occasionally one jumps out at you and sticks with you, and it's kind of a kind of a landmark in 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 your understanding of history. Mm-hmm. For me, That was discovering that in the year 1667, the Virginia Assembly, which is mostly white, Christian, Anglican men, the Virginia Assembly passed a law that said, in essence, baptism does not free an African, an Indian, or a mulatto from slavery. Now, that struck me because this is 1667. This is more than 100 years before the Declaration of Independence before the Constitution of the United States. And so this predates the formation of the political entity called the United States of America, mm-hmm. where you have legislators in this small 
Virginia uh, Assembly, declaring, legislators who are Christian, declaring to, this was mainly in response to the concern of slave owners, because here's the thing, the gospel is a liberating message. And so what the slave owners were finding is that when Christian missionaries from Europe came to America and some evangelized slaves, when the slaves became Christian, they started talking about freedom. Now, if you're a slave owner, (laughs) that is the precise opposite of what you want. And so the slave owners were saying, look, you can't proselytize our slaves because it's going to give them these ideas about equality and that they shouldn't be in chains. And then we're going to lose our free labor. And instead of standing up for equality, for the image of God and people of color, what the folks who had power did was assuage the fears of the slave owners by passing this law that says baptism does not change the state of a black person or an Indian or a a person of mixed race. They will still remain slaves. And then they went even further. They said, not only will they stay slaves, they're going to be better slaves because they're Christians, because now we're going to preach to them a selective gospel that says, slaves obey your masters. So now you've got a Christian slave whose soul is saved for eternity, so we white people feel good about ourselves, and the slave owner gets a better slave because part of being a good Christian in this truncated gospel is slaves obeying your masters. Abusing the gospel to enslave and dehumanize. Absolutely. And, and, and it's so bad because it goes back further than I ever thought, and it goes deeper than I ever thought. And so I hope to write a blog post about this when I can come up for air at some point. But it has been, honestly, a real spiritual battle for me to study history. Because you you become a realist. And and realism is good because you got to know what you're dealing with. You, you, You have to face reality, not some sort of Hollywood or Disney version of history with all of the bad stuff wrapped up in a nice neat bow with the Emancipation Proclamation or the Civil Rights Act. It doesn't work like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, the reality is if white Christians weren't overtly working to promote slavery and segregation, they were passively complicit in its perpetuation. Mm-hmm. And that causes you to rethink a lot of things uh, as, a, as a Christian, especially since I you know, um, spend a lot of times with with white Christians or in white Christian institutions, and you start to see how that several hundreds of years history continues to impact the present day. So that's a message we got to realize. So we're not past this stuff. It looks different, but we're still in the middle of struggling with with racist ideas in the church. Well, and the abuse of Christian doctrine too. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. well, you you start to think what's what's been what's been really troubling for me that I've had to spend a lot of prayer on and get a lot of support from other Christian brothers and sisters is when you see how Christians who you who who you learn from, right? These are theologians, these are pastors who we hold up, and everyday Christians when they can get it so wrong on the issue of slavery. Uh, 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 ontological equality of all people, regardless of race or ethnicity, when they can get it so wrong in this area, you start to wonder, 
Well, where else have they gotten it wrong? How else has their theology been bent and distorted by racialized prejudice? And so, and so you have to rethink a whole lot of things. But in the end, I think it's a healthy process. And it's actually a process I wish that more people would undergo really both black and white. I got to say this to my black brothers and sisters. You don't know black history like you think you know black history. <laughs> um, I think a lot of times, and that's not obviously everyone. Some people have studied it. Um, but I think a lot of times, and I certainly this has certainly been true for me, as African-Americans, we think because we live this, we know this. And the reality is we know our experience which will differ if you live in California or New York. It will differ if you lived in the 60s versus the 90s and are growing up. Um, and so I think we place too much confidence in our personal experience as minorities without doing the spade work of studying history and getting to know from a broader perspective uh, what the history of 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 people of African descent has been in this country. And so I would encourage my brothers and sisters, my kinsmen, according to the flesh, as Paul says, to study black history too. Um, one, it will give you a better appreciation. It will give you, it will give you um, more dignity to realize how much African-Americans have done, not only what they've overcome, but what they've contributed. Um, and B, it will equip you to better engage folks who really just don't get it yet. And I also hope that that white folks, white Christians in particular, go back and study um, black history because I don't think, I mean, in my comings and goings, I don't think people realize just how bad it was. You know, I, I like what you said about going back over kind of some of the, the theological principles that uh, have defined our various religious institutions and and kind of, you know, recognizing the that there is more going into that formation than just the gospel. Like ideally it's just the gospel, but I mean, everybody's got blind spots. That doesn't change now. It doesn't change yesterday and it won't change tomorrow. Everybody's going to have blind spots. And so there's levels of uh, comfort, even sinful comfort that end up kind of defining uh, the institutions, even so far as the church today, that practice of actually unpacking, you know, that Christian, what do you believe? Uh, cool. Not necessarily even trying to point out, one particular creed or, or, or another, <laughs> like that. but specifically kind of going back to that and then really um, almost, what is it? Separating the wheat from the chaff a little bit, like going yeah. back and, and, you know, making sure you definitely don't throw the baby out with the bathwater, but at the same time, you know, don't keep around the grubby bathwater that's not healthy <laughs> for the baby, you know? <laughs> so, uh, yuck. Yes. <laughs> um, now that's a great point, Bo. And that's, I think, one of the, the principles that we can take beyond Black History Month, right, is, is when you're in the majority, you don't think you have a culture. And so when you're learning theology from a majority perspective, you think, well, this is just regular theology. This is normal the theology. This is right. Yes, this is this is how everybody does it. And then there's black theology or L Latin American theology or or whatever, feminist or womanist theology, whatever it might be. Um, you know, it's it's the old grocery store analogy, right? The ethnic food aisle um, <laughs> where you have Asian food and, and, and Mexican food and, and soul food. And then all the other aisles are just normal, right? 
Well, that's a culture too. That there's ethnicity involved in in those other aisles as well, and it's the same with theology, where we we want to have a, a an ethnic theology aisle without realizing that Reformed theology is ethnically situated too. As I mentioned before, uh, the Protestant Reformation is is a largely European movement that migrates to North America, but what you're talking about is mostly white educated men. And that's the perspective from which they're, they're doing theology. And that matters because in their cultural and historical situation, they're coming to the Bible asking certain questions and seeking certain answers. Well, those questions that they're asking and the answers that they're going to get are going to be different if you're a woman, because your situation is different. It's going to be different if you are poor. It's going to be different if you are a person of color in, in a white-dominated society. And so I don't think that's necessarily negative. It becomes negative when you only have one perspective. But it becomes incredibly enriching when we can um, see the Bible and, and understand that the Word of God has answers to every question that every people group in every moment of time has ever asked. And if we can access the, the perspectives and the theological history and insights of other people, that actually gives us a ro- more robust picture of the gospel and a, a more multifaceted image of the beauty of God. All right, so let's, let's bring it back to the earliest days of Rand. Um, you know, one of the things I've heard you say mm. several times is about, you know, with Rand and what your vision is for Rand is, is kind of about doing reform theology, but within an African-American context mm. with, with kind of that, that mindset. Unpack that a little bit. I mean, like, you know, do you see that happening now? Do you think that we're just starting? Are we making progress? I mean, we're, mm-hmm. I, you know, maybe this is a good chance to kind of do a bit of a pulse check. I mean, but where, where, where are we? Where's Rand in that process? That's good. And, and I can only speak from my little corner of, of, you know, the Christian family. I think what I've seen in an encouraging aspect is, is a greater awareness of the need. Uh, so it seems to me that in the past five or six years, folks have started to become aware that the theology they've inherited is really coming from a very narrow perspective and, and that it would in fact be beneficial to hear from folks who are coming from other perspectives. And the fear of, of folks in the majority is always, well, you're going to do funny things with the Bible. You're going to, you're going to distort the word. But, but yes, that's a danger. But understand that the people in the majority have done that too. <laughs> so being in the majority doesn't make you infallible is all I'm saying. And so that does, so we should not be frightened of accessing the, 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 the traditions of faith that come from other people groups who have a different cultural situation. But we always need to filter that through, you know, through the lens of the gospel and, and do our best to make sure we're being faithful to the Bible. So I think there's a greater awareness of that, but we got a long way to go. Uh, this still, you know, the contributions of black Christians or really Christians of, of any other color aren't a staple in Christian colleges and seminaries, I don't think, obviously I haven't seen the curricula of every school, but judging from the interactions I have with people who come out of these institutions, no, it's not a staple 
of their academic diet to have um, the contributions of people of color included in their typical curriculum. So we got to get we got to we got to teach this stuff at the undergrad and graduate level. In addition, we got to teach this stuff in the church. Man, it's 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 a ping pong game, right? Sometimes I encounter Christians whose churches are doing incredibly insightful, helpful uh, actions around race, whether those are events or teaching series or or sermons or whatever. Um, they're really helping and pushing the ball forward. And then I, I encounter the most backward folks uh, who just like it's news to them that there could be any other perspectives on the Bible or Christianity or even just culture. And, and that tells me we have a lot of work to do. So I want, I, I, this is what I want for Rand. I hope that by writing blog posts and doing podcasts, we leave a, a paper trail and an audio trail of the contributions of black Christians. Mm-hmm. I want folks 50 years from now to look back at, you know, 2010s and ask what were what were black Christians thinking and doing at that time and find this trove of information through the Reformed African American Network and Pass the Mic and other works that we do. And so I, I want to break the cycle of not having written material or archived material about black Christian thought. And I think that's one contribution of of this ministry that that you know we may never live to see the fruits of but some you know scholar 50 years from now is going to be writing a dissertation based on on some of the conversations we're having and some of the blog posts we've written you know one of the things that we want to continue on with that is not just condensing black history month down to one episode of past the mic yeah talk a little bit about the uh, the plans for these uh, these next couple couple of weeks for for ran and, and pass the mic so number one if you want to write for ran we would gladly accept a submission and put it through our editing process not every post gets published but we do I mean majority of our posts are are um, folks just like our listeners who have an idea and decide to write it down and so you can email uh, submit s-u-b-m-i-t at rannetwork.org, R-A-A network.org, email submit at rannetwork.org. And you can, if you've got a, you know, a, a black history kind of blog post, we'd love to put that up during the month of February. Obviously, <laughs> we can put it up any time of the year, but, but in particular, uh, we really want to highlight the contributions of black Christians. And so if you have, even if it's a personal story, right, it doesn't have to be somebody who's made some national impact. Um, it could be someone in your family or your church, especially if it's obscure that a lot of people might not have heard of. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, We also have uh, Pass the Mic Facebook group where there's been an explosion of posts about black history. And it's it's fun. It's great uh, to to unearth some of these stories. As well, I'm doing uh, just an informal series on social media. So every day on Facebook and Twitter, I'm posting some fact about black history, whether that's telling the story of an individual or an institution or an event, um, just a paragraph or two to to get people interested. And so you can follow me at Jamar Tisby on, on Twitter and, and that'll connect to, to all the posts as well. So we're trying to do that as well as simply throughout the year. This is why we have something like the Reformed African American Network say that black Christians 
have contributions to make. And we need a platform to highlight that on an ongoing basis. And we may take the month of February specifically to highlight the history, but we're really doing black history every month because we're making black history (laughs) as we go. (laughs) That's good, man. What about past the mic? What we got up on the, uh, on the docket? Yeah, so we've got Jarvis Williams coming. Jarvis has been on the show, and he is a professor of New Testament at Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. He is he describes himself as a biracial black man, and he co-edited a book called Removing the Stain of Racism from the Southern Baptist Convention. Removing the Stain of Racism from the Southern Baptist Convention. And so he's going to be on the show this month talking about that book. And it's a fantastic book. I got an advanced copy to read over and it's an edited book. So he's got contributions. He and his co-editor have contributions from several different people just talking about different aspects of racism in the largest white evangelical Protestant denomination in the country. And Uh, That goes way beyond the SBC, right? This goes to any predominantly white Christian fellowship, I think, is going to benefit from the insights of Dr. Williams and his co-authors. So we got that coming. We're going to talk about the black church. A lot of times, and Tyler and I remark on this, we, we end up, because we're in predominantly white institutions or congregations, a lot of times that we're speaking to predominantly white groups, we, we end up speaking to white folks about black people, but sometimes we want to speak to black people. And, and so, uh, and we want to highlight um, the black church itself, because a lot of folks will also assume that since we're the quote, reformed African American network, we assume there's something wrong with the black church. That's not at all what we're saying. We're just saying that we've been persuaded by these doctrines of grace that you find in the Reformed tradition, and and as a system of theological thought, we we subscribe to it. Um, But that does not mean we're throwing the black church under the bus or find it in any way deficient. And so we're going to talk a little bit about the black church and highlight some of her contributions and the way that she continues to nurture the faith in 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 America today. And uh, people can, of course, keep up with what's going on uh, checking out rannetwork.org. That's R-A-A network.org for those blog posts. Also, the past the mic episodes are there. You can subscribe to the show on iTunes. You can subscribe to the show, of course, on the Satchel Podcast Player. That's really where you should subscribe to the show, not, yes. not anywhere else other than the Satchel Podcast Player. Um, and you can also support the show as well through Satchel. And then for your, I mean, you know, like you say, you've you've got kind of your head in the books uh, here for a while, but uh, you know, I know you've got your personal blog. I mean, what what is the best way for people to keep up with you? I know you get those, you get on those Twitter rants that are just, <laughs> just golden, man. So yeah, cool. occasionally, occasionally I get mad and and I, I I vent through social media, which is which is not the best thing to do. Don't try this at home, no. folks. Um, uh, but you know what? For those rants, though, I'll typically compose them and then sleep on it. And if I'm still mad, <laughs> then I'll put it out. <laughs> So there's a there's a method behind the madness. No, the best way, honestly, is social media, because I'll just be honest with you guys um, with with the reading and the studying I have to do and the writing I have to do for school uh, during the semester. I'm I'm pretty much out of commission, Uh, certainly this month of February, Black History Month. I've got several speaking engagements, which I'm excited about. So if you're in Charleston, I'm going to be at the one Charleston event. I think you can just 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 Google one Charleston and uh, it might come up. And then I will be um, at actually at, at Princeton University talking to uh, campus ministry group. 
about black history. And so um, I'm thrilled for those opportunities, but that leaves me very little time to write. So the best way to keep up is for, for now, social media on Twitter or uh, Facebook for those black history posts. Traveling theologian right there. It's not, uh, it's not sprawled out on this, this great big scroll. It's just written in the tweets on the airplane. Yeah, that's, uh, that's it. Yeah, look, we're in the 21st century. So you get, you get 140 characters at a time. That's hey, that's about our attention span, so it makes some sense. <laughs> hey, you did a great job as a token white guy. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I feel like I've done better on my token white guyness. In other <laughs> you know, if, if ever there was an episode for there to not need to be a token white guy, I think it's the Black History Month episode. But <laughs> I'm, I'm literally look, I we're make all sure about diversity. Look, I want to make sure it's absolutely clear. The only reason I'm on this episode is because Tyler just abandoned us. We have no earthly theory. <laughs> we haven't heard from him. Uh, he's he he's okay. He had a lot of stuff going on with family this week. Um, that's right. So, yeah, that's right. so he's 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 out of pocket for the podcast, but he's present with his family, which is by far the better thing. That's right. They've been going through a, a bit of a hard time right now. So y'all keep Tyler in your prayers. Um, I. Th- believe he will be back next week uh and i will only be back in editing form i will probably disappear for quite some time but tomorrow <laughs> you'll be back you're, you're you're with us throughout the month right even though you're traveling you're going to be on the show god willing deo volente all right well until next time i uh, we will see you soon on the next pass the mic You've been listening to Pass the Mic, a Pottery production. To find out more about this and other shows, visit Pottery.com. That's P-O-D-A-S-T-E-R-Y.com. This episode was brought to you in part by the Enneagram and Marriage Podcast, an outreach dedicated to bringing joy, strength, intimacy, and purpose to couples seeking growth. Be sure to visit enneagramandmarriage.com to find your chemistry together again, or for the very first time.